Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport Series 14, episode 14. And as I look out of our studio window, it is in fact the broadcast centre, the IMSA Radio Broadcast Centre. I'm looking down onto what this weekend will be the front straight, quite straight, but it is the front straight for the IMSA Bubba Burger Sports Car Grand Prix here at Long Beach. Bit of a traffic jam at the moment as one of the event transporters was uh, making a bit of a meal of getting in and out of the paddock in front of us and has blocked the road for a good 20 minutes or thereabouts. That's live this weekend as part of four different series that will be being broadcast across the Radio Show Limited network of audio and video channels. But tonight, with the time at just after 8 o'clock in the UK, just after noon here Pacific on a beautiful Long Beach day, not a cloud in the sky, but very, very windy here it's time to say hello up in London to Tim Gray. Good evening as it is for you, Tim. Good evening, John. And good evening, listener. And on a packed programme tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. Uh, we have Excellent. some medium news. We have some, some medium small news. news. At right. the moment, I don't think we've got any large news, though. No, we have, we have some quite large news. No, that's medium news. You'll see why I say that uh, when ah, we get to it. Okay, that's fine. Uh, that's fine. Have I got time to do a, a bit of housekeeping before we kick off with the, the As headlines? As always, you do. Excellent. Uh, by the way, this is for Carol. Padres uh, at the Giants, um, they haven't thrown out the first pitch yet. Um, it'll be Nick Margavikius who'll be up against Derek Rodriguez. Uh, when that starts uh, later on this afternoon at Oracle Park, San Francisco, just to prove that we are live. Um, good afternoon, evening or whatever to Kevin Payne, who is listening in this evening. Uh, also uh, to uh, Chris Smith, to Max Markart Grime, Wheelands in the UK this week. Um, our hearts and prayers and thoughts to you and your family at the moment, Wheelands. I hope you get a chance to listen to this sometime uh, in the near future. Uh, Chris Suku is back in the present, but one hour forward. No apologies for absence there. Just getting back from work to listen to the show and making some dinner. Central Switzerland is where Right Turn Lover is listening in for us. Mike Sargent checking in from the office yet again. Velasuds listening live on the way to work. Where are you, Velasuds? Where are you in the world? Uh, Jack Gabriel getting the podcast after a long day painting a TR4 oh Nick Damon will be loving that 
Uh, Spooner in orange. No apologies for me. Gorgeous Cotswolds evening with Midweek Motorsports. Chris Humphrey listening in, going through some Le Mans marshalling documents, continuing his countdown to Le Mans. It'll be the first time for him and Graham Fowler this year. Can't wait to marshal the great race in France in June. Graham, thank you for your photographs at the weekend, by the way. Loved your stuff from Donington Park. Um, Emma Crawley is uh, sitting at home. She's finished stuffing poutines. It's a long story. Uh, she did 130 uh, this evening. At Specutainment, if you'd like to get in touch, please. Uh, Shea Adam joins me live in the IMSA broadcast booth. We'll hear from her a little later on. But let's get to the top story on Midweek Motorsport. Episode 14, Series 14. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And our top story And where tonight, are we starting tonight? Our top story tonight right, is the me. medium news. Right, why is it, why is it medium? Uh, medium not in terms of size, uh, but in terms ah. of Marshall McLuhan-type uh, medium. Ah. You uh, mean we are going beyond, into a different dimension? Not quite. Uh, okay. For this, I do need to go... Uh, well beyond and uh, say joining us now live from a position of omnipotence is the responsible adult Eve Hewitt <laughs> really Good Eve are you with Eve. us Eve hang on hang on I'm, I'm feeling a presence I'm here I'm here are you calling from I'm the here. other side can you hear me yes hello <laughs> hello Eve Hewitt managing director of your show limited uh, how are you I guess this evening where you I'm are very well thank you thank you for joining us on midweek motorsport and you have the I like that now now I understand why it was the medium news it's some quite big news for later on in the year for radio show limited and for our listeners what have you got to tell us well I'm very pleased to say that we will be partnering with mobile one again for radio Le Mans at Le Mans at Le Mans um, for test and for race week. Uh, so that is a continuation of a partnership that started in 2014. And still the only live broadcast from test day, remarkably. As far as I know. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, we'll be taking a team down there for that and then we'll dash back, <laughs> head back down again to start building it. So that's the FM and the international broadcast, also XM Sirius in the US for the race day. Once again, we'll be... Uh, headline sponsor. It, so it will be Mobile One Radio Le Mans. Hashtag Mobile One Radio Le Mans. And that would be on 91.2 FM? Do we yes. Know that uh, well, uh, well, we have to wait and hear from the French radio authorities. But, but there's um, no reason to suspect. Uh, okay. The, I'm not answering that question. Uh, oh. <laughs> um, what, tell, tell the listener why, why this is important to get this continuity uh, with ExxonMobil and the Mobile One brand. Well, from I mean, from our point of view, it... it the partnerships that we have with um, OEMs and with industry bodies and with uh, people like Mobile One is what helps us be able to bring the service to everyone for nothing. Um, but also it, what we do with social media fits with what they're trying to do with social media, which is about signalling their position in terms of how they feel, where they feel they are with their products and the fan base and wanting to demonstrate to the fan base that through their involvement with motorsport, they're actually bringing something to day-to-day motoring and wanting to show the fan that they're assisting us with bringing the sport to them. Well, so it, 
get used to see, hearing us seeing Mobile One Radio Le Mans again. Yeah. Um, what else will it mean for the fans both at the track um, and further afield? Because last year they came up with some absolutely stonking prizes. Are we expecting the same sort of activation? Working on that, definitely. Um, probably more uh, Facebook Live coverage one of the things we want to do is the thing nobody gets to see actually because everybody scatters to the four corners of the earth as soon as the race is finished is what happens in the breakdown what has to happen after the race for everybody to be able to drive away and see the track in their rearview mirror um and say thank goodness that's over and then get as far as calais and think oh it's a whole year away um I think it was Hugh Chamberlain who one year said, said to me, as you're driving out and you catch the last look in the rear view mirror, you go, oh, thank goodness, it's 358 days before I've got to go back. And then as it disappears, you go, oh, it's 358 days before I've got to go back, within the space of probably a mile. So we're going to try and do show that, some show some more of the build-up of what it takes to, to get you know, the cars on the track, but us on the air and everybody else doing their jobs from the press room to the caterers. Um, and, and yes, yeah, some more interaction, uh, probably on site with some of the campsite tour stuff that we do um, and some more prizes. Okay, great. Thank you, Eve, very much indeed for we joining are, us. We are continuing the Mobile One moment. The so there will be, the yes. So that, there'll be a big, a big prize for that. That was a race suit last yes, year, if I remember rightly. Yeah, which was I think that, Alexander Orkin can actually get into. Yeah, that was annoying. Um, thank you, Eve, Eve Hewitt, joining us tonight, from though. the ether. Uh, no, is he not? No, no okay. he's at uh, uh, but rehearsals Sean... for another musical. Oh, yes, that's right. He's actually on stage at the moment. Uh, Sean Stauffer is saving the podcast for the ride to Ocala, Florida. Ocala, Florida this Ocala. weekend. Uh, Ocala. Yeah, okay. horse country. Okay, uh, a quarter mile supercar shootout. Carol Brink says, thanks for the Padres uh, tuning news. I'll be watching the pregame on the TV with it muted, of course. Uh, Michael Denny is listening live, outrunning, legs hurting, thinking about a Chinese takeaway. You've earned it, Michael. Who's chasing you, Michael? Yeah, well, exactly. He's, he's running to a Chinese takeaway. That's, that's what it is. You've earned it if you've been doing that. And Derek, uh, who is... Obla Derek uh, says he's li- listening live this week as he's studying the entry list for the IMSA Historic GTO Challenge at Long Beach, which I'm looking forward to going out and watching. If I can get the ground level to watch that, they're going to be absolutely brilliant. Uh, keep them coming in at Specutainment. We're live from Long Beach, at least here. And I are, thanks to the responsible adult. If you just missed that, you're tuning in a little bit late. Uh, it's Mobile One Radio Le Mans, 91.2 FM again this year for test weekend and the whole of race week down in France and further afield as the partnership that started in 2014 continues between ExxonMobil, Mobile One and the fully synthetic oil brand and Radio Show Limited. So good news to start the programme this week. Where would you like to go next, please, Tim? Uh, I'd like to bring in Nick Damon next. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, everybody. More importantly, who's the bloke who's painted the TR4? We need to be best friends. <laughs> right. I can, I, I'll tell you exactly here. That was Jack Gabriel. Um, right. It looks... Hang on. It looks very nicely red just, at the moment re- with a black Just reply roof. to it and tag me in and I can join up from there. Oh, that's very nice. I like he the video as well. It. I think he has did to. He? He's, oh, ta- he's yeah, tagged he? you at RC Racing. Okay, Cosmic I haven't, Jack I haven't been on Twitter for a long time. 
We'll uh, right. also need to tag you in uh, the one with the uh, listener who's actually doing musical theatre, won't we, Nick? Oh, no, no, Alex, I'm, I'm all over that one. I think, he, I think he's the MD, you know. I'm really impressed. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, no, no, I am genuinely really impressed. Uh, that's a, that's okay. a thankless job, the MD. Formula By one, that, Nick. you mean musical director. I do love Formula you. One Formula with One with Nick. Hooray! Oh, that was loud. Sorry, listener. <laughs> uh, we're going to start Nick. with the uh, Formula One of the Netherlands at Zandvoort. No, it's not. No, because Jan Lemmers says it's not. No, and their exclusivity thing ran out. They had an exclusive right to negotiate for, I don't know, I think it was 18 months, I think it was. That's run out. And now that well-suited F1 track of Assen is after it. Yes. Because um, that'll produce fabulous racing. Um, the Dutch have got a problem in that they have fanatical fans a very good racing driver but no track that's suitable and obviously much like the silverstone no government support so they all think it's a really great idea to have an f1 race because everyone would turn up and they reckon they might be making money out of it but zanvoort's got a number of issues about holding a race it needs a huge amount of work and assen mm. not really is a great bike track but not cars but the local government has I, I... Uh, said it wants uh, it to be zanvoort rather than assen um, and has uh, given four million dollars uh, to uh, a project to improve access roads. It's not the access roads that's the problem, though. It's the track itself. There's, I it's don't know. nowhere Unless near. Unless you go along the beach, Class you're going one. through the town centre, aren't you? Well, yeah, but there's a fundamental issue that running down to the hairpin, um, there's zero runoff. And if you run on, you end up in the paddock and then the width of an access road, you end up back on the front straight again. You would have to fundamentally redesign that track to make it suitable for for Formula One. I mean, fundamentally, they'd have to find more space. And the old gra- I think, Nick, I'm right in saying some of the old track has actually been built on now, so they can't go back right out into the dunes. Yeah. No, so they, 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 when the when the you know the the there weren't any Dutch drivers and the, and the attraction went away from holding F1 races and the money ran out in the mid eighties, uh, they sold off about a lot of the track over the back for those who who know what it means indeed for development. So because obviously it's, it's prime uh, seaside land for uh, for Dutch people who do love to have a second home on the seaside, um, and uh, therefore there is not the space to go. Uh, they can get away with the noise because they're allowed a few noisy days a year um but i i completely agree with you john i whilst i lo- love it very much you know a few times we prevented i think it's a great track i don't see how it's ever going to get up to a genuine uh category one because it's got two or three points where unless they where, where it's bending back on itself and therefore how can you actually build extra space in and you know it needs a new pit lane perhaps they would actually have to move the entire pit complex somewhere else uh, on, perhaps on the, the outside outsides, of the main yeah, street maybe where the, would make sense um but yeah i mean it's a lot of money and it's it's also of course it's it's a it's a i know max is very young but it's a limited amount of time you can capitalize on him um so they've got it it takes them two or three years to actually get the thing up and running they've probably only got five or six years of max left so they have to get a very quick return on that what uh, time of year do you think we'll be going to zandvoort well as the most inopportune moment is any time it's miserable in the uk i'm assuming either april or november (laughs) they're talking about april yes because that worked so well when we had the Grand Prix at uh, Silverstone in April that time with the fog and the quagmire. Yes, but don't, worry. don't forget that Amsterdam gets our weather at the same, just about, uh, about about 12 hours later, and Amsterdam is level with Hull. It is not a sunny place. And what did uh, Jan Lammers actually say? I don't know. I, haven't, said, I is, haven't read Jan's quote. This is still premature. 
Uh, we're on the right track, but we're still working on the finishing touches. It's very yeah, nice they're, to hear they're these They're not rumors. on the right track because they haven't got grade one track to be rightly on. I think they're still a bit ahead of the <laughs> troops. Good. It's not up to us to make this known. No, I mean, it's. I think. I think. Yeah, obviously, the. It is a great idea. Dutch Grand Prix. There's a lot of history. You know, things like you know the debut of the, the DFV, uh, James Hunt's first win, everything else. But you know, it comes down to pound shillings and pence, and we and we do know that um, it looks like Liberty are in deep negotiation now with both Monza and Silverstone about keeping them on the calendar, which can only mean they've made the terms more attractive than they've yes. blinked first. So it'll be interesting to see what the European races are going to get charged. Twenty twenty. Of course, there's like- no. It might have uh, Sorry, Tim. 23 races on it, though, Nick. Oh, for goodness sake. John? Uh, sorry, no. I, I, um, uh, no, go on. Jump in for 23. My, my point was just going to be, does the Dutch Grand Prix have to actually be in the Netherlands? Because, you know, the Swiss <laughs> Grand Prix used to be a Dijon. Then, you know. Where was Max Verstappen actually born? Uh, Belgium. Correct. And he has a Spa Grand Prix ready. Which so, is quite yeah, close I mean, it, to the Netherlands. It is. It's quite close to the Netherlands. It's quite, Belgium has never moved from its closest to the Netherlands. Uh, Kevin Payne has just tweeted out about your team and he says, uh, John and Nick are absolutely right. There's no space to expand and uh, if it doesn't, uh, and it doesn't comply to grade one standards. A rebuild really isn't on the cards. However, Joe Seward, that well-known Formula One writer, is convinced it will be on the calendar next year in springtime. Well, Could there's going to have to be some... There's, well, you know, they can put it on the calendar. We've seen a lot of things on calendars before which haven't turned up, and even won me a watch once. So uh, being on the calendar mm. and the race taking place, especially with... Uh, next year seems very early. They haven't even started the works or got the planning permission because they can't just turn up and ride the track as it is now. I, mean, I, 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 build I can imagine they announce they've got the race by next year or later this year. It must be at least 18 months, two years before they actually put it on. Well, they'd have to close the whole place down to redevelop it. That's the other thing. Mm. Um, and they would lose a lot. Anyway, let's let's move on. Listen to Midweek Motorsports, Series 14, Episode 14. Dutch Grand Prix, possibly not. Plus, possibly yet. We'll wait to find out. Where would you like to go next? Are we staying with Formula One, Tim? Yeah, we're going to stick with the uh, 23 race calendar for 2020. If we're saying that Zandvoort probably many. won't be ready until 2021, uh, that's still leaves a 22 race calendar because uh, we already know that Vietnam is going to be added. And uh, Ross Braun last week said that all of the uh, events that held or all of the countries that held races this year uh, will have one next year as well. So he's not counting on Miami changing its mind about local planning permission, which is always the worst thing in the world. But that is good news for Mexico, Monza, uh, Silverstone, and what's the other one that has a contract running out this no, year? No, there's six of them that have a contract running out, and, and I wish I'd remember, but beyond, but beyond those three, I can't remember. Uh, Germany's only year by year as it is, Germany, so that, that needs to get sorted yeah. out. And I actually think the first tranche of France runs out, though I'm sure they'll find enough money to keep that going for a few years. Oh, no, 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 it runs out next year. It's only the second one this year, isn't it? Next yes. year, that is. Yeah. Uh, which Formula One world champion has uh, turned down the opportunity to race in DTM? Nico Rosberg. Why is that? Because he's a coward who runs away from a challenge. Stop it. Do you want to come off the fence for that? I, I think I think he's... Look... Nico Rosberg, no asterisks in the record books. He's a 2016 world champion. All of us who watched that, that season knows he was damn lucky to win it and wasn't even prepared to defend it. So what is he? 
And he goes on and on about how he beat Lewis. He didn't beat Lewis. An engine blow up beat Lewis. Stop being so disingenuous. Uh, Nico said, I can't even manage myself physically anymore. I had to train so much for my arms and hands. Today, it doesn't even look that good. He's a very bright guy. And, and he's, also... he's a very good ambassador for, for various other projects. But as a racing driver, I, his face, I mean, it's a hard thing to say, but I lost all respect when he retired without defending for no reason. And he was scared. Uh, the um, it is also very difficult to go into DTM. They're not easy cars to drive. There have been plenty of very fine drivers who've come from single seaters, who've come from high down for sports car racing, who come from all sorts of places, who've gone in there and not done very well indeed. And that is to say, being outside, you know, been struggling to get into the top ten. And that doesn't make them bad drivers. So I, I can understand why people look at that championship and say. No, it might not be for me. It's super, super competitive, albeit it's a brand new set of regulations, so maybe things will change a wee bit and the status quo might get rocked a little bit. But even so, I, I, I'll i give them slightly more of the benefit than Nick has. Uh, Formula One's yeah. off to China this weekend and they're yes. uh, planning a big celebration. Why is that? Yes. Definitely the thousandth Grand Prix, and I will truck no conversation. Oh, it's the thousandth Grand Prix with the, the special counting they're using, um, and no, it's, it's and, and it's going to fall like a damp squid. And they must have been very upset when it, when it turned out that the thousandth Grand Prix, due to the way the program was going to be in China, because it's just about the worst country to have it in, um, because they can't even run a parade of cars because of customs regulations. So they wanted to get a load of uh, championship-winning cars across the parade. Custom regulation meant the only car they managed to get across as far as I understand it is the Lotus uh, 49, which Graham Hill drove in 68. Uh, how uh, many I, I, it's Grand not Prix though. have we had? I'm going to say a 1,000, but I'm sure that John's going to disagree. <laughs> I'm also going to well, disagree. I, in, in fairness, what they've actually said, and we need to get this out there, though there's a... There's a a codicil that needs to come be behind this. They have said that what it actually is, is the thousandth uh, Formula One World Championship race. But that actually, even by their own standards, is wrong because there was a Grand Prix in Canada that because it was so long and there was so much of a gap between the two halves, actually counted by their own regulations as two. So the thousandth event that they are celebrating this weekend actually happened last weekend in Bahrain but the biggest problem is that there have been many Formula 1 races that weren't Grand Prix and weren't in the World Championship because not all Formula 1 uh, events are Grand Prix and uh, even some World Championship uh, events weren't Formula 1 because there was two years it was run to Formula 2 specifications, Formula 2 formula. Um, There were 11 Indy 500s that were never Grand Prix that also counted towards the World Championship. Interestingly, if you took those out, that would make the thousandth uh, event that they are looking at uh, to be at Monza, which actually would probably be... Counting that uh, Montreal race only once. Oh, that's a good point. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah, so it'd be, be the one. It would be Spa, which would still be better, wouldn't that's it? Fine either way. <laughs> but even that's wrong because correct. Uh, even if you say it's the thousandth Formula One World Championship race, the Formula One World Championship actually only started in when was it? The nineteen eighties, some point, Nick. They changed the name. Well, yeah, this I, I, I read of this yesterday. I didn't. I didn't know they changed the name. This is an absolute, you know, field day for the pedant, isn't it? 
it really is the statistician and pedates absolutely they raise the flag of 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 pointless <laughs> um miserliness uh, you know, uh, to try and prove it's not of course it's not the thousandth grand prix there's been grand prix run since what 1901 or 1902 i'm up um, one this weekend is grand prix I've had about two this weekend you know, the thing is, Grand Prix just means big prize. It's not a trademarkable thing. Um, no, but it is about. It used to be about length and uh, jurisdiction, so that it was actually clearly defined. That's going to. There's two Grand Prix this weekend. I'm overlooking the start finish line for the IndyCar Long Beach Grand Prix and the Bubba Burger Sports Car Grand Prix. Both but they're not Grand in Prix. the FIA Formula One World Championship. No. Is is the point? So it's actually so it's, if we if we count it as the the post-war races run by the FIA, FIM whatever they were called at the time, to the championship of like for the Premier League championship of motor racing, regardless of what car they were driving, it's the thousand and yes. first because the Canadian race should have been two. Is that no, right? It's still not right because okay. <laughs> you're not counting the 1946 season if you do that. Correct. Correct. Hey. Okay. Do you remember 1946, so Nick? Strange. Yeah, it was, 20, it was th- no. three quarters of an hour um, ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I must admit, actually, I, I do, the, the, the thing is realistic. If we're really honest about this. Yes. Um, they actually have a much better... Did they actually add up the the pre-war races, which were very much run to the same sort of concept of international racing and Formula One with the, the initially the Bugattis and Alphas, and, and lastly the two German manufacturers. Um, you know, they have what is missing What is missing here, gentlemen? What the fundamental thing that's missing is somebody Anybody showing us the working hands. Well, but but they should have. Well, everyone cares. Come up with this number. Clearly, everybody cares because Liberty would have rather not been in China, anywhere but China, I, I suspect, ABC, anywhere <laughs> but China. Um, but um, what I want to see is the working out. Somebody tell me how this was arrived at because by any any of the, the workings out that I've seen on the internet, and by the way, credit Leo Gorman, who's done a lot of work on this and had a great Twitter stream on it uh, uh, earlier this, oh, late last week, early this week, uh, that, that filled hours of, uh, of downtime in the airport before I jumped on the big silver bird, the big silver cinema in the sky. Uh, I, I just want to know how it's been arrived at because I can't find anywhere that it actually does work it, in any way, shape or form. It has been wrong for a while though, John, because I remember when I was doing F1 all those millions of years ago, I think we celebrated the six. We actually properly celebrated the 600th race and I'm pretty sure they had a celebration a few years earlier for the 500. So they've been counting it wrong for 30 years. Um, and obviously, this, it has been quite easy to count from, as Tim says, the mid-80s, when it's, there hasn't been, ever since the last non-championship race, which I think we had in conversation about the 83, wasn't it? So ever since that last non-championship race, mm. it's been quite easy to count it. So the error has happened way back in the mists of time, in the 60s or 70s. So are we convinced that this is the 500th race since the 500th race? Yes. Definitely? No. Yes. No. No. I think it's the 500th event since the 500th race. Yeah. Uh, okay. There's that Spanish Grand Prix that was... Well, there's a Spanish Grand Prix that started off being a World Championship event and wasn't by the time it finished. What year was that? Correct. 1980... No, 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 1980. The 500th Grand Prix was about 1989, wasn't it? 
1980 oh, okay. was the Spanish uh, Grand Prix. Yes, but that... I'm saying the 500th race was about 1989. Yes, so that doesn't count. But we do okay, have to right, okay. double count. Uh, um, double count that Canada race in 2011, which was since 1989. But it uh, was only one event, on... even if it was two races. Yeah, um, Eve has just put on the uh, our control uh, chat here. As exaggeration is at the root of this story, I have just laughed out loud, Nick, that you just talked about millions of years ago. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, Chris, Christopher uh, Christopher Matthews on Formula One says, if we're going to have a Netherlands Grand Prix for F1, the question that should be asked, given the number of races on the calendar, is which ways to drop. I also believe 18 is enough for F1 races in a season. Uh, you have to count the many years uh, of the Macau Grand Prix, surely, says Alan Prosser. Yes. Uh, Emma Crawley says, my head hurts trying to understand this 1,000th <laughs> F1 GP thing. How about I just stay in bed on Sunday and let them get on with it? I think uh, does this mean that to, there are... T- we definitely need to discount anything that is just a Grand Prix because there are far too many of them. Yes. David Alcock says, great news that the uh, that Mobile One will be supporting the Le Mans 24-hour broadcast again this year. Congratulations to Eve and the rest of the team, plus everyone at Exxon Mobile for making this happen for the fans. Shall we move on? Yes. Uh, who thinks he's a victim of a conspiracy? Everybody. Ooh, Nobody. You're going to you're gonna have to narrow it down slightly there, because in the, in the, the world Christian of uh, Horner. Sport, most people... Which... Former chairman of a very, very large uh, motoring brand that's quite big into motorsport. Charles Ghosn. Carlos uh, Ghosn, yeah. Carlos Ghosn. Carlos Ghosn. Sorry. I'm t- I tend to agree with them, frankly, but never mind. I'm sure the uh, truth the man who is at the head. He's the man who's at the head of uh, Renault, uh, quite a lot Nissan. of Mitsubishi now. Uh, and Nissan uh, as well, of course, who was called back uh, to Japan and arrested as he got off the private jet some time ago. He says he's uh, innocent of all charges. He he released a video uh, at the weekend saying he's uh, innocent of all charges and uh, Nissan executives have stabbed him in the back. I think they stabbed him in the front, actually, but never mind. Moving on. Uh, where are we going next? We've done that one. Uh, Sauber have yes. uh, employed a new young driver. Which is impressive because they don't exist anymore. Well, they do exist in Formula 2. Well, they do. Yes. And they have, well, they have a new young driver who's um, obviously a relative of the driver they had last year. Uh, because... Tis I, Leclerc again. Another Leclerc. It's a different Leclerc. I've, is he Arnold? Arthur. Arthur. I, 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 Arthur Doing Pete well on your Arthur. names tonight. Arthur, yeah, well, that's pretty much stand up as part of the course, isn't it, really? So, uh, Arthur, right, okay. Um, mm. Arthur Leclerc, so the double Leclerc. Uh, what did Arthur Leclerc do last <laughs> year? Uh, Formula 4. In France, where he scored two wins and eight other podium finishes, finishing fifth in the championship. What's he doing this year? Formula 3 somewhere? No, he's still doing Formula 4, because remember, okay. Formula 3 no longer exists. Uh, oh, sorry. He's doing both the German Formula 4 and the non-clashing Italian Formula 4 races. Have they got the same engines? No. It's Formula 4 in Italy is our bath, isn't it? It is, what, and in what's... Germany it's not. Okay. It's not. Don't get not started. Really what it is, though. 
Don't get him started about what is or isn't Formula 3, Formula 4 <laughs> or any other formula because that makes the whole 1,000th Grand Prix thing looks absolutely easy. I'm super excited to be part of the Sauber Junior team, said Leclerc. My target is to win and move on to the next racing category. It's been great to work with the guys at US Racing and Cheroos. It's a proper team and I already feel really confident with them and the car. Terrific. Ever since he was a young boy last Tuesday, he wanted to drive for Sauber. What did Formula One driver Max Verstappen do last weekend? There's so many. He drove his car in an odd place to surprise everyone. Oh, you don't know this story. Ooh. No, I don't know this story. Online race. He did. Online race. Wasn't it, it Raymond, at um, Raymond Sebring? Yeah, he, he did it at Sebring. Yeah. He did the Sebring race. Sports car race. Yes. Did he win? I don't think yes. so. Yes, he did. He won. Did he? Yeah. He was racing with that guy who won the McLaren um, future get, future racer game and things. So it was like it was a, bit of a pretty high-end team. Oh, wow. World's fastest gamer, that was called. Yes. I think. Um, okay, shall we move on? Uh, what did uh, Formula One driver Lewis Hamilton do at the weekend? He's made a, I'll tell you something he has done. He's made a very good advert for us at Epson this week. <laughs> Lovely. Is it the push-up one again, Nick? Uh, no, it's one where he's um, he's racing a lad. To it, it, it's too it's too advertorial to talk about it, but it just shows how Epson printers use less power okay. than other ones. <laughs> Nick Damon is sponsored by Epson. They pay my wages. He's not. He's, he's not actually. He's employed by them. I think that's uh, that's fine. We we can we can say that. Lewis Hamilton was supporting his brother at Brands Hatch. That's good. Yes, he was because Nick was racing in the. Um, in the British Touring Car Championship, he he's got a full season. He's done a few races before, and he's done a couple of seasons at Cleo's. Yes. Uh, but he stepped up a into a full-time race. To the very start of the 2018 uh, British Touring Car season, which was also Brands Hatch. Go on, then. The weather conditions there were damp, but drying. And a number of drivers towards the back of the grid decided to start on slicks. And it only took about three laps out of the 24 or however many laps they had to do at Brands Hatch for the slicks to be the better tyre. So you saw drivers like Jake Hill starting in the 20s and finishing on the podium. Uh, This year, the weather conditions were the same and I thought, surely no one is going to fall for that again. And they did. The top nine cars all started on wet, which went off after three laps and they all finished last. They all finished last. Yeah. That's impressive. Every single car, <laughs> nine cars came off the line, came across the line simultaneously to finish last. They were all scored last for, for stupidity and tire choice. <laughs> uh, it was just, that was a uh, it was a post it was a post race. At, um, yes, it was a it was a post race adjustment where they were all placed last. Shall we move yeah, on? They were taking taking the stewards who had told they're bloody stupid. No, you're last. Yes. <laughs> Should we move uh, on? We're live, from, we're live from Long Beach. It's Series 14, Episode 14. I promise we will have some sports car news. We were supposed to do it in this first hour, but I'm rapidly losing the will to live, to be honest. Um, <laughs> let's move on to bikes. Yeah. Uh, now, I've been told. Yeah. Yeah. Let's World get Super Declan Bike. Brennan involved as well. World Superbikes was where, Nick? It was in Motorcar and Aragon. 
Uh, Spain, obviously. Uh, well, if, it's, if it's a if it's an odd week, yeah. Yes, it is. John, do you, do you do you remember my report from the tie round in uh, two weeks ago? Yep. Same again. Ah, okay. Right. Um, so yeah, just clear that it, again. It, well, in Thailand there were three races, and it was Bautista and Ducati who won. Johnny Ray and the Kawasaki second, and Alex Lowe's in the Yamaha's third. Now there was a massive change, actually, in honesty, in motorcar because in the first race, Chas Davis got third, but at the rest of the races, it was exactly the same. So we have now nine wins of Bautista, nine seconds of Johnny Ray, and Alex Lowe's has had uh, five out of the last six third places. Um. And who says you can't have variety? But you know, I'm all, but just to say, that, Bautista didn't just win; he crushed them. He wasn't even trying, and he was three quarters of a second a lap faster. It was ridiculous. Really was. Uh, Definitely. Yes. There was here. Yes, there was a cigar. He by the last lap or two of the first race, he was sitting sideways <laughs> on the bike, smoking a cigar. At one stage, he turned around and rode backwards and flicked the Vs at the others. He was so far <laughs> ahead of them. It's, it is, the problem is, he's brilliant, uh, which I've always said. Uh, check the records. Uh, <laughs> but, they, but, but they have got, they have nailed the balance of performance for the cars, for, or the cars, for the bikes, for everybody else. The, rest, the race for second is tremendous. Uh, it's just, and... He doesn't even get any screen time. The racing has been so good for the minor places that Bautista, they show him at the start and they show him at the end and that's it. That's all he gets. It's a very good point there because I actually tuned in late um, to race one and I saw this fantastic battle for um, for what I thought was the lead with Johnny Ray. Oh, where is he? Where is he? And then they, they, they showed this massive long shot and he was 19, nine seconds ahead. I went, oh, that's exciting. Yeah, um, it, but yeah, it, so it's, um, it's it is concerning. unfortunate. Uh, and I think we had what John's been trailing for the last three months. The balance performance uh, adjustments come out, and yeah, it's not done an awful lot. Well, that's because well, no, the, the, that's the, because the the, on, the the balance of performance. I think they have got fundamentally. Go back to my previous point. They fundamentally got right. The the balance of Batista is another thing uh, that they can't unless they they literally do what we talked about last week and give them the Frank side bottom head or lead boots or no brakes. Uh, I'm not really sure uh, what we can do. Uh, he, he's riding himself back into a MotoGP seat. I'm, I'm convinced of that at this point. The dominance the thing, is so great. The thing is that all they've done is they've done a small reduction of the rev limit for the uh, Ducati, but Ducati still has over a thousand revs more. 1500 revs more than the the Kawasaki and I don't understand why a V4 with the same displacement is at such a massive disadvantage it needs to rev so much more and, and revs do mean power at this level because you haven't got any air restrictions Ducati V4 back. Ducati V4 is allowed 16,100 revs that is by far the most of anybody the next best is the Honda at 15,050 uh, and everyone else is under 15,000 revs. Hmm. Um, the, now, the, there is a, a change is that, that Kawasaki and um, uh, Kawasaki and, and Ducati will not be allowed to do a parts upgrade during the season, although the remaining ma- manufacturers will all have one. Um, special consideration for BMW because if you remember they chose their concession parts but in the first two events they basically used a stock engine 
Um, and so um, they're going to have a little bit of a change. So uh, Honda are 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 getting five hundred. They're getting a charity uh, in, 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 in increase of five hundred cc. Uh, sorry, five hundred cc. No, that, that might what they should work. do. That, that, that might work. <laughs> that might no. That's probably still wouldn't make more wacky competitive. But uh, no, they're getting five hundred more revs. They're not getting five hundred more cc. A fifteen hundred cc fireblade is a, a very interesting concept. But uh, I suppose if it, it if, might uh, sell. Yeah, I suppose if if Norton can do it by accident, Honda can can do it on purpose. So uh, by accident, yes. In I, I I I fully fully believe uh, we are uh, we are in for great racing uh, for the minor spots, uh, and and that is going to have to be kind of what we what we have to lump and live with, you know, uh, for the rest of the season. I can't see them changing it. Uh, I can see. Jonathan Ray getting a little bit closer. Uh, I'm already seeing, you can tell, I think, Nick, if you saw the race, you can tell he's working harder. He's uh, And he's being more strategic. He took the tar- harder tire and, and but bided his time and got passed on a number of occasions before taking second place late in the race because clearly he had more tire under him. But he's, uh, he is, but on saying that, he's riding harder, which is, uh, so, so, it's hard to say, but I, I, at this stage, unless something chronic happens, uh, it's Bautista's championship to lose. Uh, well, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the thing is, though, that it, it's you know we we know that they they really didn't the powers that be were fed up with the the Ray domination, and they've obviously one of the ways they thought they could present prevent this is by giving Ducati a bike advantage. Now, of course, Ducati now turned up with a rider who's every bit as good as Ray and a bike advantage, and guess what's happened? He's walked away with it. And, and I'll be really honest with you, I'm not that interested in watching it anymore. And I love superbikes. It's complete. What's the point? If you know the result before you start, this is nothing against Alvaro. Genuinely nothing against him. I think he's a great rider and he deserves to win the championship because he's playing the card he's given. But is anyone really interested after three rounds anymore? But he could be, he could have well, a but you could say that about MotoGP as well, couldn't you? You could say that about MotoGP and you're going to that this weekend. And you said last week that you know who, what the result's going to be. Yeah, he's going to win. Mark Marquez is going to win. Frank Sidebottom will win. Uh, little Frank will be second, uh, maybe. Oh, no, actually, Cal Crutchlow. Cal Crutchlow will be second uh, on the Honda, if all things go right. Uh, but with, with, with Superbike, uh, Nick, I, I absolutely agree with you to some extent. And, and the, with the way their scoring system works and with the multiple races per weekend, uh, he could have things pretty much wrapped up by their summer break, uh, which is... Which is kind of frightening, ridiculous. And, yes, and no good for the. However, the, however, it is good for bike sales decks, and Ducati well, have absolutely sweated their advantage. Well, quarter of all superbikes sold in the world now are are Panigales, uh, which is That's and, extraordinary, and, and they are the leading uh, now the the world's leading uh, retailer of performance bikes, partially th- thanks to. Uh, having huge success in China. But what amazes me uh, about all that is that, is that obviously integrating, uh, or, or I should say, sorry, uh, connecting directly the success on the track to bike sales is, is a very obvious thing. It's less so with cars. It's certainly a lot more nebulous in cars than it used to be, but it's certainly a very much the, the, the whole connection between bike fans and owners and bike racing is yeah. stronger uh, yes. than it is in four wheels. And so it's huge. And, and if, Ducati are the only brand 
who seem to be able to create a platform in both Superbike and MotoGP, uh, which is put That's them in this position. That's a good point. That's a good point because we think of those as different disciplines. And if we, I mean, I know you can't directly relate that to four wheels but if you think about it that's a bit like prototype racing and gt racing um with cars isn't it because the world superbikes are closely derived from the road going bikes probably more closely than gt cars certainly gt le mans gte cars more in the sort of gt3 sort of area um whereas mortal gp are effectively two wheels version of of prototype racing Yes, and the interesting thing as well, John, is that like it's it's there are two. One is a pro. Like on saying that, then you've got the subsets because obviously MotoGP are pure prototypes, but but there is a huge importance. Moto, I think World Superbike's never going to go away because of the because of of the direct influence. For example, Kawasaki, who as we just mentioned, uh, obviously are now having to work a lot harder, uh, do not have any. MotoGP presence and all of their superbike mm. development and their technology transfer comes effectively from Jonathan Ray and, and their superbike program. Yes, uh, and it's a hugely important thing that isn't going away in any way. Uh, but interestingly, and I've said this before, uh, and Nick, this is something interesting. You're a BMW rider, are you not? I am. And so they I. they are struggling. Yes, I would maintain, and I said this in our in our pre-show chat that their success on the Isle of Man probably is as important to them as the eventual success they hope to have in World Superbikes. They could probably take yeah. the problems they're having in Superbikes right now because of, of what the Isle of Man means to brands. And on the Isle of Man... With the 1000RR, which is the yes. bike to have around there, the 1000RR is, a, is yes. an unbelievable bike around the island. Yes, um, both Superstock and in Superbike form. And... Uh, and so it's it's fascinating to me because I look at it as you said it's very much I look at it in terms of of what it means uh, for, for the for the road bike industry and uh, that's literally the way the car industry was it's like a microcosm of where the car industry was in the fifties and the sixties but uh, but I'm saying that Ducati have an almost unfair advantage as well because they we now know that they are relying in both disciplines in both MotoGP and in Superbike they are relying both on on uh, John, as you've mentioned before, on uh, Audi Aero uh, wind tunnel testing, etc., and they've also been working with Ferrari uh, on the F1 side, and uh, it's it is, and funnily enough, uh, the Magneti Morelli uh, Ducati uh, connection is very strong, and again, that's through Ferrari as well, uh, because obviously Magneti Morelli provide the uh, standard electronics for everybody, so. They're doing something remarkable insofar as that they're they're now uh, competitive in both series, but it's paying out in terms of how many uh, motorcycles they're selling, which is mind-bogglingly large. Um, Nick, uh, Declan said something there that triggered something in my mind. China, huge market, huge growing market as the middle class and the upper middle class there become um, more... Uh, have more disposable income. All right, the the car market has taken something between a six and eight percent drop, depending on on who you believe uh, in the last twelve months. But motorbikes still expanding, and yet there's still not a, 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 an event over there for MotoGP or World Superbikes. No, it's very very surprising because you know the, the 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 countries which really really exist on two wheels, um, India, a uh, place like Vietnam, 
China, where motorcycles outnumber cars by many hundreds to one in some of those countries. It, they know those have, a, have, have a, a, an actual race and they're all increasing in their disposable income. And as the middle classes grow, these are people who are used to riding bikes. And so they're, 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 a lot of them are going to naturally gravitate to something a bit, a bit faster, a bit quicker, a bit, bit more exciting, uh, rather than just going for a car you have no space to park in. But, um, yeah, it, I'm surprised. I suppose the reason would be, obviously, if they wanted to have a race in one of those countries, they had to remove one from Spain. You could never do that, could you? No, absolutely. But absolutely John, right. John, the, the, the uh, Malaysian market is massive. Absolutely massive. And they're going, I believe they're going, uh, World uh, MotoGP is going back to Malaysia. It's also going to Thailand. Uh, sorry, not Malaysia. I'm sorry, Thailand. The Thai market is huge, and MotoGP is going to Thailand. Uh, MotoGP, MotoGP will be going late in the year. World Superbike already goes there, as I said, as their second event. That's a massive market. And the idea that, that we don't have that grouped in with a, a swing uh, somewhere into China at the same early stage of the year seems ex- pretty extraordinary considering the size of the marketplace. Uh Dex, stay with us, please, if you don't mind. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 14, episode 14. Uh, I think we can let Nick go now. Nick, thank you very much indeed. Talk to you next week, mate. Cheers, mate. And Thanks, Nick is man. Gone. Uh, uh, I want to keep hold of Dex, uh, Dex at the moment. Uh, we're still watching this fantastic ballet of various trucks trying to get out of the, the infield here at Long Beach. With a reminder, of course, we'll have the... Bubba Burger Sports Car Grand Prix live uh, at the weekend as part of four separate championships that we're covering here on Radio Show Limited. More details about that in the second hour of tonight's uh, uh, tonight's programme. Uh, can we move on now to events uh, at Barber at the weekend? I we got back in time. Can. Uh, and this won't take long because obviously. Oh, we've lost Declan briefly. Uh, Don't worry, we'll get him back. <laughs> we will get him back. Shit, Adam uh, can talk about this. She's our American correspondent Barbara, nowadays. Indy Car at Barber, basically, for the last few years, it's uh, Joseph Newgarth Four wins. conclusion. Uh, Scott Dixon comes second. And yep. I can't see any difference. Death taxes anything, and Dixie coming second. Anything different uh, happening uh, any time in the future. So uh, we now don't need to talk about that anymore, do we? Except that wasn't quite how... I mean, in fairness, 50% right, which is, you know, better than weather forecasters. Yeah, really. yeah. Because cool. we had a quite extraordinary look at the front of the field when the cars went off. I think the most spectacular part of the race at Barbara is watching the cars down through the S's after the start. It's an awesome thing to see such a big field of Indy cars. Yeah. But um, not any big teams, the two biggest teams of Penske and Andretti, no, none of their cars in the top six, unheard of. For qualifying, it was quite the uh, surprise, and congratulations to Ray Hollitterman and Lanigan continuing on their season of basically doing nothing but winning. Uh, four wins now on the year between the Rolex 24... So is that every one of their teams have had a win now, and we're only in the first week of, of April? Every one of their teams, but not every one of their cars, because no, 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 uh, no. still waiting on Graham, and still waiting on the John Odards and Yessie Chrome BMW, but other than that, yeah, everybody's So they've won in every up. championship that they are competing in. Pretty sure, yeah. That uh, that new director, that new president of race operations must have made a difference. Yeah, you, you think he's doing something, that Pierce, Mr. baby? That, that's must, that Mr. Phillips chap. Yeah, um, but the interesting... Great win for Sato. Uh, for sure. Got Almost it. threw it away with, what, five laps to go, six laps to go, lack of concentration. Making it interesting for the rest of us, back at home, trying to 
keep involved. A couple of nice overtakes, Colton Hurt approving that he's uh, a force to be reckoned with. But engine issues. But engine issues again. Yeah. Uh, it was Pato. Pato who no, made the Pado. pass on the outside. the outside. Yeah, yeah, Colton, who was struggling with engine issues from very early on in the race, was talking over the radio saying, can we even keep going with this? And they said, yeah, you can manage it. So he's now fifth in the championships. St- st- Sticky throttle. Sticky. I believe that's what happened when he went off and then Chilton went off at the exact same time, uh, which caused the yellow very, very late in the running. But again, Jojo with Mr. Sendrick up on the box, Newgarden pulls out a result from nowhere, maintains the championship lead by a lot. He comes here to Long Beach 27 points ahead of Scott Dixon. And again, you... Don't ever feel comfortable leading Scott Dixon in the points. I talked to you, Alexander Rossi. Uh, Takuma is now third with 91, so he's not too far off Dixon. But then it's Rossi, Herda, Bourdais, and Hinch. And what a weekend for Bourdais. He was nowhere in the early running qualifying. went pretty well. But then to finish with the first step on the podium of the season for them, they're going to be strong coming in here this weekend too. Uh, We've got Declan back. Um, We'll go to him in a second after a point from Tim Gray. Uh, you mentioned that uh, Max Chilton uh, went off at the same time as uh, Graham Rahal. Um, but obviously that happened during commercial uh, for the US audience, so you probably don't know yes. what caused him to go off, which was Tony Kanaan. Well, it was... They were both going to the pit lane. Yeah, two, well, two Chilton cars wanting the exact the same lane. piece of oh, tarmac. Kanaan turned in very late. And yep. much faster. Yep. Um, uh, yes. Um, Awkward. Uh, uh, all right, you brought up the spec. You've, you've brought up the specter of. Um, you brought up the specter of, of the TV coverage. So let's bring Dex in on that because he is our commercial expert on uh, on on things like this. Uh, the, Hang on, let me write that down. Apparently, I'm a commercial expert. Yeah. <laughs> you can put that on your CV now, mate. It's been said on the internet, so it, it must, must be true. It must be true. Charge um, money for that. Uh, it, it, a rating, I mean, a point two doesn't mean anything to anybody, but less than 300,000 people watching on television really does. Fewer than 300,000 people watching on television really does. What, what, what does that say about those people who are supporting the championship, that they don't really care what goes on outside of the track? Well, let's, let's quickly, for some more context, uh, they can't compare it to last year because last year, got washed out and ran on the Monday, so that's unfair to do that. But interestingly, in 2017, Bristol got washed out at the same time, mm-hmm. and they uh, took advantage of that, and the audience was in the 400,000s. So, so the NASCAR audience came, o- came over because they had nothing to watch. But it's just, it's, it's super difficult to know, but, but it, it, this is, there's a thousand reasons for this. Uh, nobody really cares, nobody knows. And I know that's been super harsh, but, but you know, the national media is not interested anymore, uh, hasn't been for a long time. Uh, people just aren't watching TV anymore. People don't consume things the same way. Uh, the, with all the races moving to a new channel, it's, just, it's hard to know. But it's, it's, I'm, I, I am struggling to, to work out how you could change this. It's because I think it's just a societal and cultural thing as much as anything. But, it's a, but ultimately, the, the numbers are a really difficult uh, impediment or a strong impediment to selling sponsorship. When you go to somebody and say, what are your TV eyeballs? Yeah. Because people still actually take that top line TV number as 
an important marker of how the, the say race is going. The other thing well, that's been a big hindrance for racing over the last couple of weeks is March Madness, and their numbers have been ridiculous in the U.S. They've been getting sevens and fives, not with a decimal point in front of it. So they've been taking a lot bas- of the that's eyes. The basketball, basketball yes, college basketball. Um, yeah, because and that's partly because Duke, the, the, uh, a, a, a team with national uh, following, uh, played late into the tournament. No, I absolutely get yes. that. But but uh, but these numbers, even if you add a couple of uh, a rating a point or two, are still are still not where the series needs to be. And and I'm I'm not really sure fundamentally how they change things. I don't think they can. And by the way, they take streaming into account as well now. Those streaming numbers oh, right. are also included. Oh, really? I was, yes. I, I was going to ask that. Um, I mean, you were talking about Bristol there. Um, um, Bristol NASCAR race didn't have, um, was nowhere near a sellout. I mean, it, it's still a pretty good crowd, but it was only half full. Um, uh, Tim, a quick point from you on that before I go back to Dex and, uh, and finish off uh, with a, a little point from him. Tim, go ahead. When I first started watching NASCAR back in the 1990s, I thought I really must go and uh, watch a race at Bristol. And at the time, there was a waiting list to uh, mm-hmm. get tickets. 20,000 uh, waiting list. And this year, it was less than half full. Uh, but my point yeah. was, isn't it stupid that they're putting the IndyCar and NASCAR races on so that they have a massive overlap? Um, and yes. the NASCAR audience, although... It's not going to be the same as the IndyCar audience. They can't watch the first half of the IndyCar race if they're watching the NASCAR race. Yeah, yes. that is very it true. Needs to be a little bit more. It needs to be a little bit more joined up uh, thinking. And, and they're the same network, are they? Or no, not? no, no. NBC uh, for Na- for uh, IndyCar okay. and Fox, Fox right now for NASCAR. So they're not doing themselves any favors anyway. I want to finish off decks with you, if I may, about something else that actually involves IndyCar and the talk that World Challenge might end up back on the IndyCar. Uh, on the IndyCar uh, undercard, if you will. Um, it, that used to be the case, and they, and they went away from that, and, and now there's talk of it of it going back. Um, it's an area that you have been interested in in the past with some of your clients and some of your partners. Good idea or bad idea? Yes, is the answer to that. I'm not being silly. Yes, it's a good <laughs> idea and a bad idea. Uh, for all of the reasons that have been discussed by the likes of Mike Headland, Mike, if you're listening... Uh, hello, and Ryan DL and, and, and Tony DeZeno and others on, very on Twitter. Very sensible Twitter debate. Very yeah, sensible absolutely. Twitter debate that didn't denigrate. Never does with Mike, by the way, and Ryan as well. I'll, I've, 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 I've passed away many a happy hour in airline terminals, having a good back and forth in 250 characters or less, with, uh, or fewer, with, uh, <laughs> with Mike, to be honest. So what's the good about it, Dex? The good is a larger crowd uh, you, you, for, for a couple of reasons. One, just having generally more eyeballs on our events. But secondly, being uh, that type of backdrop is, is what your guests want for your clients. They want to be feel like they're special VIPs at a big event. At a, you know, and that, that clearly, that is an absolute, that's, that's something that makes people feel good about coming to events, going to hospitality. If you go out there and the paddocks are full and those grandstands are full. And, and obviously that, that, is not the case at and this is a series that I'm really enjoying being in but it is just un, it would be wrong to say that uh, the Blancpain series for its standalone events can draw a very substantial crowd it certainly didn't doesn't it uh, historically in Texas at Austin uh, uh, it'd be interesting to see I hope it gets a good crowd at VIR uh, it so what, it is all what's, it, so is that one of the negatives is that one of the negatives 
the negative. What's yeah, the negatives it, of, of of going in with IndyCar? Uh, the the negative is that you're you're not the the big show. The positive of the doing show. your own events is you're the big show. You're in the, for example, in Texas, we were in the GP. Uh, uh, pit garages which is fantastic and and that's 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 a really nice uh environment for guests uh, you're you're the you're not in the, uh, at the the whim and the vagaries of the indie car schedule uh which is absolutely the case there have been races at barber a few years yes. ago a race basically there was a a long yellow uh, they were circulating under yellow and eventually the race control said yeah we've got to finish it because indie car uh warm up has got to start uh if you're yeah. in the yeah, if Tim, you're in the in- sorry oh, go on no, so go ahead. Just need to get Tim, Tim back in here because we're running out of time uh, on this. Uh, a negative from you, Tim. You wanted to have a a minus point. Negative is if you're a circuit owner, because uh, at the moment you can bring three yeah. series to your uh, circuit and have uh, a, a reasonably large crowd for two, for three weekends rather than just two. Well, I'm not sure that's the case. You get, and a circuit owner might just be taking a fee anyway. So it's a negative, but a different type of negative. I'll put one thing to you in closing here, Dex. Um, positive because there's more people there. Negative because of all the things you've said. Is there also a negative? And this is a serious point, and I don't know this, but is there also a negative in that if you're with IndyCar, things like hotel rooms, flights, um, catering, all that sort of stuff is inflated because there are likely to be more people there anyway. Yeah, and you're so also running, it's running some, costs. Yeah, and and your events will will be. Uh, you know, uh, will mean travel further because you'll be staying in hotels further from the track, and and things like your guests will have to come extremely early because your your races will suddenly be scheduled for nine o'clock on a Sunday yes, morning. Good point. And 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 guests, as I said in my Twitter a response to Mike Edland, it's, it's difficult to make a VIP feel special if you're saying you need to get out of bed at seven on a Sunday and get to the track for nine o'clock for the start of our race. So uh, it's, but there, I, I, I'm absolutely not being negative here because there's absolutely solid no. arguments on both sides. And I know the SRO from all, everything they've done so far has been excellent. The vibe in the pits and the paddock areas at Austin was excellent. And I'm looking forward to VIR in a couple of weeks. I feel they'll probably work out how to do this. Uh, that's okay, my, my, my feeling. Yeah, great, Dex. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Good work with uh, Nick Damon as well on the uh, Superbikes uh, and the other bike news that we had earlier on. Uh, Declan Brennan joining us live from the US. This is Midweek Motorsports, Series 14, Episode 14, and we head into our number two. I've Mark in the shed, so I get to say, still to come on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, still to come in the second hour, uh, we will have a preview of the event action here at Long Beach. It's the Bubba Burger uh, Sports Car Grand Prix. Shea Adam with me in the IMSA Broadcast Centre overlooking the start-finish line. Uh, and plenty of news coming out of the paddock. We'll go through it for you uh, in the next 60 minutes. Uh, your tweets, please, at Specutainment. Let's uh, have your thoughts on what we've been talking about in the first hour. We'll also be looking back to Barber and the IMSA content from that. Two championships started their 2019 season there. Quite a late start and Shea has the news from that E as well. Plus, we've got four events this weekend. We'll be telling you more about what's been covered live on RSL later in tonight's show. But next, it's the big interview and we're talking something very important to motorsport. It's all about marshalling. Midweek Motorsport on RS1.
The big interview on Midweek Motorsport tonight is something very important and something very close to my heart. Without the volunteer officials, corner workers, marshals, call them what you will, we simply couldn't go. We couldn't go motor racing. Uh, and the sport that we all love would grind to a halt. And I'm delighted to say that joining us tonight for the big interview is the brand communication officer for the British Motorsports Marshall Clubs, the BMMC, Dave Smithson. Dave, first of all, thank you very much for joining us. And first of all, I think I should say thank you very much for everything that you and your members do. Well, thank you, John. That's very kind of you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm one of uh, over 2,400 plus volunteer marshals, men and women who go out trackside all weathers, week in, week out, to play our part in, in helping motorsport run safely. I'm going to ask you a very basic and what might seem cheeky question. You guys don't get paid for this. None of the, the, the ladies and gentlemen who do this get paid. Why, why do you even bother doing this? It's a fundamental question, actually, isn't it? it it's an interesting question, John. I must admit, you've stumped me on that one already. <laughs> well, I think, um, I think what a lot of us, uh, a lot of reasons that many of us do it is that we get the best seats in the house where we have the privileged position of being literally trackside to you know, close up and, 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 and bird's eye view of the action um, free of charge. Yeah, I mean, we get no no pay as such. We are all technically volunteers. Um, some clubs give us a small uh, donation at sign-on to help cover our petrol costs or whatever, um, which is very much appreciated. But none of us are, none of us are in it for the money. I mean... We very fortunate at BMMC this season just announced only a couple of weeks ago uh, a new sponsor to join the, the myriad of sponsors that we have, um, which has meant that we can, for the first time in the club's history, offer a 100% subsidy to wow. members for their pro band overalls. Well, well, I think you should. I should. I think you should mention those people. We've got several sponsors now. We've got NGK Spark Plugs, who've been with us many a year. Uh, Tigger Race Cars, Polyfloor. The MG Car Club, Cataclean, and most lately, most recently, we have got the um, Classic Sports Car Club. Between them, they all ensure that we can um, go racing and, and get those overalls, as I say, for 100% subsidy for the first time in the club's history. So uh, that, that's made a huge difference. And, and, and you know, it really is genuinely is appreciated by all the marshals that the, the sponsorship we get from the different clubs and the and the different products and services that, that support us. And Genetic Cars, of course, is the last one. Genetic Cars announced their sponsorship at the Autosports Show in January. So between all those sponsors, we, we're very, very fortunate. We're talking about the UK uh, primarily here with, obviously, the British Motorsports Marshalling Club, but effectively marshals all around the world. Sometimes slightly differently. I know some, some places around the world do contribute here, but the, the contribution to motorsport that the marshals, corner workers, whether they're in orange or white or wherever they are around the world make, it is something quite quite extraordinary. Tell me why people should do this. Tell me why. I know it's, it's difficult, and I know sometimes we struggle to get marshals. It's a, it's a full calendar in the UK and worldwide. Now, why should people and why should motorsport enthusiasts consider coming marshalling? Well, I think if, if, if you are a petrol head, if you do love you know, your motorsport, whatever level, from Formula One down to, to, to Clubman series, mm. it's, it is that opportunity to get up close and personal to, to the action, whether it's 
in the pit lane and scrutineering, uh, whether it's out on, on the bank flagging or, or being an incident marshal, you do get really up close to the action. It's also, I think, there's a great camaraderie. Um, you, yes, you, yes. Uh, you make friends that are friends for life. Um, we, we talk about ourselves now as the Orange family, and I think <laughs> it really is a family feel to it. I mean, we're based in the Northwest, my, myself and my wife. We're both marshals. One of our colleagues is getting married later this year, and, and literally only yesterday morning, the invite to the wedding do landed on the doorstep. You know, and I, I, I don't sure if the if the bride's going to be wearing orange, but there'll be a lot of orange uh, uh, members there at that wedding in September. So. Well, I hope it's all going to be fireproof, to be honest. Otherwise, it, you know, that that's just not happening. What 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 a lot of people don't know about my background in motorsport is my motorsport background. Although I did commentary from very early on, my real motorsport involvement started effectively in marshalling. I was a member of the Wickham and District Motor Club and they were very, very active. Those who have long memories remember the Lombard RAC rally and my first real getting involved was in being a marshal on the Killer Kielder stages as they were known in those days. And, and I'm lucky, I'm very lucky. Even just last weekend, I was, I was competing with Radical. I've got an international, yeah. uh, I've got an international driver's license. But this is an opportunity for people to get involved at a level of motorsport that perhaps they could never conv- compete in. And I, yeah. felt, I felt that was really important to be able to be involved and, and, and possibly even to give something back. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, a lot of us want to give something back. A lot of us enjoy volunteering because that's what we want to do. And, you know, whether it's motorsport, whether it's, any other form of sport or, or any other community event. You know, there's lots of clubs and societies in sport and other walks of life, John, that simply wouldn't exist without the, the input and the support from the volunteers that help all those organisations exist. And I think you know, no, motorsport's no different to many of them. For me personally, my, my journey into this area started actually in the Olympics in London in 2012 as a games maker. Really? Yeah, and, and a lot of people... I know that I met through that uh, particular event. We're encouraged, and, and I still get emails today encouraging me to volunteer for other events. I had one the other day for the Twaikondo Championships in Manchester in next month. So, you know, we, we all still get regularly contacted to encourage us to support other events, other sports. And for me, that led me into motorsport. I've always been a big fan anyway, more of an armchair fan than anything else. But that led me to, to volunteer as a marshal. And I still do the other bits and pieces. So I'm a, I'm a cricketer at this year's um, International Cricket World Cup. Bizarrely, I've got the Canadian Grand Prix to go to at the beginning of June. I come back and do a few cricket matches. And then uh, the same day as the Cricket World Cup final, I'll be at Silverstone for the British Grand Prix. So. <laughs> yeah, and that's a good point, isn't it? That marshalling opens up the opportunity to go and experience motorsport around, around the world. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I was fortunate to go to Canada two years ago. Last year, um, my wife and I went to Australia for the start of the season last year. And this year, we're going to say we're going back to Canada. Lots of our colleagues, lots of our friends go overseas um, to many events. One of our colleagues that went to Australia with us last year also went to the Singapore Grand Prix. A couple of our colleagues from, from Alton Park, where we're based, uh, were over in uh, Florida last month for the um, World Endurance Championships yeah. at Spring. Yeah. Uh, they had an absolutely amazing time. I mean, they're still talking about it three weeks later. And you know, the, 
the welcome and, and, and the hospitality we get when we go overseas is second to none. I've always experienced absolutely amazing hospitality. And again, make new friends, more more members of that extended Orange family. That I'm still in touch with people from Canada two years ago who are already emailing me and texting me and saying, can't wait to see you again this year and, and vice versa. And some of those yes, are coming over yes. to, to, to the UK for July for the British Grand Prix. Let's be serious here, though. This is extraordinarily in some respects, and I don't expect you to comment on this, and neither will we have a have a, a chat about it, but this is a, a professional sport that can't run without volunteers, and the volunteers are trained to the very highest standard, so it's not as if we're asking people to come in off the street and do important jobs. Absolutely, absolutely. We, 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 you know, we have to attend at least one training event every other year to just maintain our current grade, let alone if you want to you know, move up the grading system into another position on, 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 the, on the ladder. So, so you're saying, Dave, what we have is similar to driving, then there's a grading system. Yeah, I mean, how far up you go on that, on that ladder is entirely up to you. I mean, once you're past the trainee stage and you're, you're, you're qualified as a, as a track marshal, you could stay at that level for the rest of your marshalling career yes, if that's what yes. you wanted and, and, and go around the world marshalling F1 races to whatever else, other other level you wanted to marshal at. But then you can become a specialist flag marshal or specialist pit or paddock marshal or move on to become an instant officer or a um, post chief, examining post chief. So there's various different routes you can follow once you've, once you've got that initial training. But even if you don't, you know, and obviously there's certain uh, numbers, uh, signatures you need to get attendances and records of, of what you've dealt with at each event. Um, then there's a, a, an assessment uh, stage at each level to, to go across. So an examining post chief will assess your knowledge, your, your, your attitude, your skills and your experience before they would sign you off um, and, and, and formally nominate you to be upgraded to the next level at whatever, whatever stage you're going to, whether it's experienced marshal or, or higher. Which is exactly the same as is driving. Get your get your signature from the clerk of the course before you move up into different levels. Now, and what a lot of people don't understand here in the UK is, as a driver, one of your qualification signatures you can gain by going and being a marshal for yeah. for an event. And, and David Leslie, who was a great friend of mine and I worked with at RML, he was a massive exponent of this and said, actually, more drivers should do it so that they yeah. understand what marshals do. But you can get a qualifying signature yeah. if you're trying to come through the, the British system by being a marshal. We had the um, opening, uh, opening se- uh, race of the season at Alton Park, I was uh, I was allocated to Deer Leap, and we had a, a driver with us there for the day who was doing exactly that, John, and he he found it great. We you know we it's not the first time I've had a driver with us on post with us for the day, and, and every time it's happened, they found it really really useful, really beneficial, a great insight into what we have to do, and, and an, an appreciation of what we do, and um, that, that's invaluable for us. Um, because you know, that driver will go back and talk to his colleagues in his championship correct, and, correct. And, and so on and so forth. But mutual respect on both sides, I think. Which well, is... David, David always used to think it should be mandatory, not uh, <laughs> not, not voluntary for drivers <laughs> coming through, <laughs> to be probably, honest. Probably, yeah, I, I, would, uh, I think most drivers would actually welcome it. And, and those that are, might be listening who are thinking, is it worth it? I'd encourage them to because... 
you'll be made welcome. You, all the lads love and lasses love to have a, a driver spend the day with them and uh, have a bit of banter, and, and they'll remember it. You know, they'll, the next time they see that driver on a circuit, they'll they'll give them a big wave and uh, and they'll sort of cheer them, encourage them on, and, and want to see them do well. So it's it's a good way of building up your fan club as well. Particularly talking about the the UK, you've uh, you've recently launched at the uh, British Motorsports Marshals Club the ambassador, and I'm I'm very honoured to say that you guys have have asked me to be involved in it, and of course the answer was yes immediately. Why is that important? I think primarily, I mean, one of our key aims is is not just well, is retention of existing members and also recruitment of new members. I mean, we. You know, we, we we have to look to the future sometimes and, and look at uh, look at our numbers and make sure that we've got enough marshals to to cover all the huge amount of championships and events that take place in in the UK. We're all always constantly looking out for new people to encourage to come and join us and to keep our numbers up and grow our numbers. And I think one of the roles that brand ambassadors can play is helping us spread that message, raising the awareness of what the club do, what marshals do. So people like your good self, people you know, leading to these kind of interviews will help get the word and the message out there a little bit more. Um, it also helps to some recognition for the existing pool of marshals, that the people like yourself, people like Paul O'Neill, who's uh, joined us, people, you know, some of the drivers, um, people Flick. like uh, Martin Prime and Flick Haig. Yeah. Uh, People, you know, these are people who are going to help us raise our profile and also give some recognition to to those existing marshals who will be grateful for the fact that that you know our work is appreciated. On a serious point, Dave, motorsport is is becoming, and, and the expansion of motorsport is an issue because, as we've said, motorsport can't happen without people on the marshalling ports, whether it's here in the UK or, or further afield. And as motorsport continues to expand, there's more events every weekend. And that means that your members or, or members in the US or Australia or further afield need to be effectively doing more work. Uh, and and that, in some ways, if we don't get another generation of, of, of volunteer marshals, then we can't have another generation of motorsport. No, you're absolutely right, and I think it's it's a challenge because you know there's so much out there for 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 young people these days coming you know, into into sort of adulthood who have so much choice and so many options to attract them, and we're competing with a lot of other not just other sports but other developments like you know esports is becoming a big thing, isn't it? Yes. Um, you know, a lot of lot of young kids these days are into their their online gaming and those kind of things we're competing with those kind of arenas as well to attract new new people to the sport so both on a competitive level and on, on, on an officials level whether it's marshalling or scrutineers or or stewards observers whatever role you know those volunteers play it's it's important we we, we, we keep up with the you know, the dropout rate at the other end because we've got to find those numbers we've got to keep those numbers up and uh as I said earlier, the, the the role of the ambassadors can help us in, in that. That's one small part. We've got lots of other initiatives in hand or already planned or, or about to go live, and you know, uh, support of sponsors that those we mentioned earlier makes a big difference. Um, we're also looking to 
constantly look to to put deals together where we can get discounts for marshals on yes. on, on on goods and, and services. So you know, whatever that may be, that's important part of it as well. So yeah, it's it's it's, it's a difficult uh, challenge, and 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 the more we can do to raise the profile of the club and the benefits of being involved with the club, so much the better. And say all that training that we do is invaluable and a lot of that is transferable as well back into the workplace so of course you're talking about the uk and british motorsport but everything that you've just said translates to everywhere in the world so whether you're listening in the usa south africa australia or wherever you are listen there's a marshall's club somewhere find out it's it's easy to do on social media uh, nowadays, I, I I'd just like to thank Radical. I was racing with Radical at Donington at the weekend. As soon as they found out that I was a brand ambassador, uh, they've they've decided that for the whole season their race centre is going to be open to any of the men and women in Orange to go and fill their flasks, get themselves warmed up, to use that centre to to get themselves warm and grab themselves a a warm drink. And, and ultimately, Dave, the industry has to do that because without the support of the industry nowadays, really, the, the industry can't survive without the marshals. No, you're right. It's, we're an integral part of it. I mean, we, 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 you know, we yeah. also recognise without the competitors, without the, the race clubs and, and, and et cetera, you know, there'd be no need for marshals anyway. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a mutually beneficial uh, so you looking at it the other way, and that, that's really nice because that's a very orange way to look at it. But I'm looking at it from the point of, of view as saying, if we didn't have the marshals, we wouldn't have the sport. We need each other, John, because <laughs> there'd be nothing more boring than standing around the side of a track all day on a Saturday and nothing going past it. <laughs> all right, well, I've got, to, I've got to say thank you very much to all the marshals at Donington over, well, actually the test day on Thursday as well as Saturday and Sunday um, for waving blue flags and get me out of gravel and yellow flags when I was facing the wrong the wrong direction. Do you have a final thought from you about um, just about where the sport is at the moment? It seems the economic climate is always very difficult. It seems that we're on a bit of an upswing at the moment and therefore more people are needed. How do they get involved? Well, certainly if they want to get involved with ourselves, just go to our website, www.marshals.co.uk if they're in the UK. And as you said earlier, if, if you're elsewhere, listening in elsewhere in, in, in another part of the world, there'll be a club somewhere near you. Um, just uh, go to your local internet browser and, and, and dig them out. But um, for ourselves, I mean, it, it is quite buoyant, uh, despite all the challenges and the cost that it, uh, that it racks up, for the, certainly for the competitors, far more expensive for them than it is for us as, as marshals. But... Um, yeah, if you want to get involved as a as, as a as a volunteer on, on on the bank or as a scrutineer or anything else, there's plenty of opportunities there. You'll be made more than welcome, and you'll even get a fast a flask filled up free if you're attending a radical event. And thank <laughs> you for, for that radical. We really do appreciate that. I hope the uh, the people at Donington uh, over the weekend took advantage of it. Dave, thank you very much for joining us. It's the best seat in the house. Uh, it also is a way for you as a motorsport fan, and I know that everybody that's listening to Midweek Motorsport is a motorsport fan. It's a genuine way for you to give back to the sport. And not only is it a way for you to feel better about yourself and you, and the fact that you like motorsport, you're actually going to contribute 
to the continuation of motorsport without the men and women in orange or white or whatever color they wear around the world we simply can't go motor racing just think about that for a moment Dave Smithson thanks very much for joining us tonight thank you John take care and to prove we're live uh, it's 4-1 Uh, Padres are up 1-0 in the bottom of the third against the Giants. They're at the Giants. Um, Manny Margot with the RBI. Luis no Arias uh, coming, coming Carol home. Carol cares. Coming home to I'm score. I'm sure there are people listening uh, who cares. It's mould for Valerenga 1 as well in the Norwegian Elite Serien. Actually, we're in the bottom of the third at the moment uh, with one out. Giants with one out there at the moment uh, and it's Eric Kratz who is uh, at bat at the moment uh, we'll keep an eye on that um, let's talk about Barber Imza Barber yes Imza Barber Imza Barber that's is not somewhere you've got to get your hair cut whilst you're at the circuit but you know that's, that's an idea I was going to say do we have a new official sponsor for haircuts that would be very entertaining um, yeah Barber at the weekend was the start of two of the Imsa sanctioned series for their seasons the Porsche GT3 Cup by Yokohama USA they had two races over the course of the weekend and of those two races Almost everybody managed to keep cool, calm, right. and collected. And Roman DeAngelis came through, wins race one. Perfect start to the championship. Your surprised face, very clearly. No, not the surprised face. No. Tried to not win race two, <laughs> but still managed to get it done. So okay. good on the young Canadian. It was Alan Metney who took on both of the Masters' first wins this All season. Right. Good for him. Very good to see him continuing his hunt for championship. And Kurt Fizikas was the winner of round two. He's the guy who always runs with the different colored wheels, wheels. on his beautiful Porsche. Uh, that's purple with green and monster on the side. It was Sebastian Carrazzo who won race oh, one, which good. was impressive. So Sebastian, we saw run a couple of races last year. Never really found his feet last year. He was also going up against uh, Victor Gomez the fourth, who proved to be quite dominant in the gold category. So now he was able to flex his muscles and come away with a win. Well, that's good for him to to try and t- to to get that monkey. Off his back. Yeah. Let's start of the season for them. Very. They normally get things kicked off at Sebring International Raceway, but of course this year with the scheduling changing up a bit, they were moved to Barber, and they don't normally run Barber, but we'll be seeing them at Mid-Ohio, so all is good. The other series... Oh, hello, as Flying Lizard Motorsports comes right by in front of us. Love seeing them appearing yeah, out of the blue. blue livery. Yeah, for Robbie Foley. It's going to yeah. be a lot of fun. Uh, and Robbie will be seeing also the, uh, at Mid-Ohio. Yeah, uh, and Turner Motorsport BMW as he yeah. runs in GTD with Bill Opperlin, who yeah. owns where we're standing right now. This I mean, is, he is the mayor of here. Yeah, Long Beach is his. Yeah. Every, everything in California I associate with Bill. Um, but in the Lamborghini series, it was a very similar story because you had a lot of repeat winners. In the LB Cup, Mel Johnson took home the wins in both races. New, obviously, LB Cup is for people who don't have racing experience or very much so of it. that's a new name for us to get used to. Mel is somebody we will be getting used to because right. he was very quick. Snow wins both of the AM categories. Which snow? McKay. It's McKay. <laughs> He's come back, which we're really glad to see a snow still in the Lamborghini series. And again, it was great to see Madison at Sebring. Really hope Madison drops in and gives his little brother a couple more pointers over the course of the season. Damon Oki and Mr. Edson, Jake Edson, won both of the Pro-Am category races. But in the overall is where things got a little bit mixed up. Connor Daly coming back to running an IMSA, mm-hmm. first time running in the Lamborghini series, teamed up with PPM. 
and Brandon Godovic, they took home the race well, one we, we know, victory. We know uh, Brandon's oh, uh, pedigree very good, and yeah. Connor can pedal anything. Exactly. And even if he can't, he'll throw it at something until it does go very fast. Yeah. That's just the way that Connor works. But in race two, different story. A name that you're familiar with but haven't heard for a couple of years, John. Richard Antonucci ah. came back. He joined Change Racing and in the seat that Madison held last year, actually. And alongside Corey Lewis, they took the and win he, in race two. And he had been, well, he was uh, a Lamborghini uh, Super Trofeo specialist, wasn't he? Because yes. he, he'd been over in Europe doing quite a lot of racing and was part yeah. of the factory development team, I think. It yes, was he was. And he, he's a former champion of the North American Series. So Corey teamed up with uh, Richard means we're going to have a very interesting championship fight the whole way through. Mm. I think we see those cars again at Mid-Ohio too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let's go to the tweet. Uh, Spoon Renolins says, thank you very much uh, for talking to Dave about marshalling. Um, uh, I love marshalling and able to be able to contribute and give back something that's so important in my life-work balance. It's a great community. I enjoy the rush of professionally supporting drivers, especially in their time of need. Um, David T. Bruce says, Marshalls are heroes. It's those rainy days at any circuit around the world when the wind is brutal. As a spectator, you can call it a day, pack up the sarnies, sandwiches for everybody outside the UK, and head to the car. But I, f- I always feel for the Marshalls there till the bitter end, bitter being the operative word mm. sometimes as well. Kevin Payne on IndyCar TV numbers. I can't help but think the coverage itself is... Co- well... Uh, we'll have to wait to find out what the end of that sentence was because we uh, seem to have lost John there. While we get him back, we'll uh, uh, see if we can find that tweet myself. Uh, you can't help thinking that it's down to the coverage uh, with all the commercial breaks making it uh, impossible to follow the races. Uh, well, that's certainly one aspect. Uh, in the US, there's a lot of commercials. Time Marshall. Are you back now, John? Sorry, say again. You're back. Sorry, I said you're back. Uh, we haven't been anywhere. Uh, you dis- we haven't been anywhere. You disappeared for us for about thirty seconds, halfway through Kevin Payne's tweet. Ah, right. Um, you're very burbly to us at the moment. Um, well, Kevin said uh, about the ad breaks. Uh, my point with that was that uh, Sky F1 in the UK tend to run without ad breaks, although they somehow uh, managed to run one in a green flag when um, when the Americans weren't on a break. Hmm. Uh, Dave Alcock says, fully agree about racing drivers spending time marshalling. Great idea for drivers to experience life from the other side. Happily, in most motorsport, there does seem to be mutual respect between drivers, officials, and track workers. It's not the same offered in other sports. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Um, and James Hart says, on the... IndyCar coverage, at least in the UK, we do get to see what happened in the ad break, even if they don't mention it. Yes, because there's no <laughs> commentary, of course. But there we go. Uh, keep your comments coming in at Specutainment, please. It's a busy weekend. We're here at Long Beach. Jeremy Yay! Shaw will join Shea Adam and myself as we're in the IMSA Broadcast Centre looking down. They've just been uh, painting the grid positions, actually, the grid marks. For the historic race, the, that would I, be. I, yeah, I was going to say, what, who's got the standing start? Yeah. Um, so that must be for the historic um, IMSA event. Uh, so that's just been happening in front of us. We've got a reasonable view of a little bit of the front stretch, which we can see some of the back end as well. Uh, that is Friday and Saturday. For all the times, auto-converted to your browser times, go to radiolamont.com and scroll down to the bottom. RS1. 
uh, IMSA Radio RS2 and RS3 all in effect this weekend all have live coverage on them so IMSA Radio RS2 that's where the IMSA's going to be obviously Friday and Saturday big gaps between the IMSA uh, live on track because we tend to start the morning and then come back in the afternoon so we'll make sure there's plenty of good programming in between if you want to stay on there and leave it on all of the day so we've got a a practice session, then a second practice and qualifying run together on Friday. Uh, and then we've got um, effectively another practice session. Think of it as a morning warm-up. No, no we're just in the no, race on just Saturday. just the race. Just the race on Saturday. Yep. Oh, so we get a light in. Yeah, we don't even need to rock up till about eh, noon. Excellent. Yeah. The crack of noon. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's good. When so the rooster crows. That's the, That sounds good to me. So that's Saturday. Um, Friday, uh, Saturday and Sunday will be on RS1. That's going to be the ELMS opening round of the season from uh, Paul Ricard at Le Castellet. Johnny Palmer leading our coverage there with Graham Goodwin. Uh, and they will be covering practice and qualifying for the ELMS, also for the Michelin Challenge as well. Uh, and both of those races live. We've got sound and vision for those as well. So that's Friday, Saturday and Sunday. That's on RS1. And on RS3, it'll be Bruce Jones and Paul Truswell who look after the VLN from the Nordschleife. That, of course, is Saturday morning UK time. But I've got to tell you, the uh, sorry, a Michelin. The Michelin event is uh, the Michelin Cup, not the Michelin Challenge. It's the Michelin Challenge here. Yes. Um, so that's the uh, that's the uh, support race to the ELMS. But as far as the VLN is concerned. Uh, the next round of VLN on Saturday morning UK time with Paul and Bruce. Uh, minus three degrees Celsius forecast for that. So be aware and stay tuned uh, in case things change. Because if it is that, there may be ice on the circuit. There could even be some snow on the circuit still in April. Minus three. That, as far as temperature is concerned, is something that... Uh, Shit, Adam doesn't even want to think about you. We're shivering just when I mentioned. You've just made minus, me very cold. Minus three. Mm. So that's this weekend's four events at three different venues, one broadcaster spread across our three channels. And get yourself to uh, radiolamon.com. Scroll to the bottom. All of the live programs are listed there. Uh, let's focus in for a moment at if least here on what's going Yeah, go on. Uh, I saw a tweet earlier from Robert Wickens who uh, said he was he could struggle to uh, get to this weekend's IndyCar race at Long Beach uh, because of snow. Yeah, in uh, Denver, where yeah. he is in a rehab facility. Yeah. Uh, that's obviously a long way from you, uh, though. Yes, but uh, well, it is very windy here, and that has been affecting flights coming in. Yeah, one of our technical team, Tyler, um, is struggling to get flights uh, you got in uh, just at the right time I think yep. we did as well but certainly I know there's been delays at Dallas Fort Worth um, mm. there's been delays all over the country because um, of uh, high winds at various airports um, let's uh, let's focus in on uh, on what's happening here this weekend not what's going on in front of us in the traffic jams on as a shoreline drive in front of us as a tesla decides that he doesn't want to wait in line and no. will drive up the barriered off section of road yeah very interesting started the second line he started the high line hasn't he yes as they're going there. it'll rubber in Give of course, it time. It'll rubber in later yeah on. um so let's talk about this weekend just the two classes here yes this weekend. and do you remember last year how we had a big talking point in so far as how many rookies were in the field 
we have the same talking point this weekend, but for the complete opposite reason. How many drivers, John, have never raced Long Beach who are here this weekend? Oh, I don't know. One is really? the answer. Tom Blomqvist okay. is the only, only driver. So he's the only Long Beach rookie. Exactly. We've got drivers who have never raced in IMSA at Long Beach before, but have experience in IndyCar sub-series. That would be Kyle Kaiser, who ran here in Indy Lights in 2015. But other than that, every other driver in the field has an IMSA start except for Blomqvist. So it's going to be very interesting. Nobody can claim ignorance of not knowing where the track goes. Nobody's going to need time to learn the circuit. Everybody's got it down at this point. It's the third very different track at the start of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship 2019 season in this very important 50th anniversary year for IMSA. So we've come from the Rolex 24 Daytona through the shake, rattle, rattle, roll and rain in both of those events, by the way, at the Mobile One uh, 12 hours of Sebring, unlikely to have rain here this weekend, but actually the, the the wind might be an issue. The wind is supposed to be died down by the time we get to race day. It's really bad today, and if you don't believe me, it's gusting up to about 40 miles an hour. It's moving the booth. Yeah, we're feeling it. Um, so it's, Imagine how great that's making me feel. With your uh, love of heights. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. It's still not as bad as the booth movement at Watkins Glen, though. No, that is true. substantial. Yeah. Um, but I did have a great conversation last weekend with Jeff Brown about coming to Long beach and he said you know we do daytona which is 24 hours we do sebring which is 12 hours we do this which is a hundred minute race at long beach he spends longer on strategy trying to get things right before he even gets to the track here than he does for the all of off season for daytona or sebring it really is you need to have things right and you need to make the smart decisions there's absolutely no opportunity here to get it back if no if you make the wrong choice now that said uh, and I was saying on the Sportscar 365 podcast, double stint the other day to uh, Ryan Marin, um, we have seen teams that have been forced to go off what you would call normal strategy, making hair out of that. BMW, a couple of years ago, got a puncture yep. very early on, changed the strategy, came and made it work, won the race. Bill Oberlin, of course. That was 2013, yeah. maybe? ALMS so, days. So you, yeah. can, so you can make it yes. work for you here. Um I mean, the main thing is staying out of the walls. Brian Till always yes. calls it the concrete canyon here. That's an, an apt description. Uh, it's the usual thing. I'm sure it'll be in our keys to the race, our Porsche keys to the race, uh, that it, it's small mistakes here have big consequences. Very, very much so. But experience also helps a ton. And when you look at the field that we've got here, you mentioned we have 19 cars. Each car, two drivers. That means we have 38 drivers. Well, 18 of those drivers have won a race at Long Beach. Oh, really? And I'm not just talking about IMSA. I'm talking about IndyCar and whatever you want to throw at it. There's a lot of people who know how to go quickly around here. Almost. It's two drivers, well, one driver short of half the field. So you've got a lot of people who maybe they haven't won here before, but they've gotten a pole. They can put everything together. A lot of people who understand where the passing points are, where you want people to try and get around you if you're slower traffic, which is going to happen. We have GTLM and Prototype. It's going to be a very interesting race, the way that it all shakes out. And it's the first time that we're going to have the DPIs running on Michelins, and that's something else too. Yes, absolutely. Let's talk about the GT categories first of all. Uh, It's the usual suspect. No sign of Reese. 
uh, coming back in the near future, which is a, is, is a bit sad. But can we just give a little yay moment for their driver announcement for the 24 Hours Le Mans? Pippo Durrani, who does run who here. Who is Brazilian, by the way. Who is Brazilian. Yes, he's not Italian or anything else. Uh, Jules Gunion, who is French. And we've got Ollie Jarvis, who's yeah, also here really, this weekend. Really pleased for Ollie. We'll yeah. try and get a chat with him. Uh, about that. I know it's difficult because he's wearing his master clothes this weekend. Uh, but Reese then confirming that uh, this week, well reminded. Ah, but he's always driving red cars. Yeah. So it works. Kind of works for him. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have to change. He's nail polish, exactly. which is nice. Um, so the, the the major factories are all here. Um, you normally like to look at progressions and mathematics and statistics. <laughs> Who has the statistical advantage here? Um... Hmm. Corvette have got the most wins on the street by, by one, one over, over Porsche. Porsche. Yes. Uh, huh? Yeah, yeah. No, I see you doing your homework too. On paper, everybody is strong. Mm. And that's part of the issue. When you look at the BOP changes that were enacted for this weekend, partially because we were talking about uh, in shows past, the slowest Porsche won Sebring. So there should have been no massive change. The only real change in the GTLM category was weight taken out of the Porsches. So they're going to be even stronger than they were at Sebring or at Daytona. And they were competitive at both of those. Well, except they got something very wrong at the start of that race when it was wet. Yes, and we haven't really got to the bottom of that yet. I suspect well, we probably won't. Yeah. We've got our ideas, which we'll keep to ourselves. We thought it was something um, fairly basic, but clearly fundamental. Um, I can't see them making that type of mistake again. No, and, and the big thing for all the GTLM cars is this is the first time they're running here on this compound of tyres. So, well, they've got three options to choose from. They've got the soft, the medium, and the hard for Michelin. So they did have to declare that before the season. So those have been in play for a while. But it's the remember, it's the WEC spec of tyre. It's not the one that they've run on in IMSA for many years past. So they are oh, going to be doing it? that I thought they acquisition. Were, I thought they were bringing the straight soft back here. Uh, not that I'm aware okay, of. Not in, was... not in their Michelin preview. Okay, okay. Let's we'll, we'll, follow, we'll follow that up. So come on then. Um... Who have we had winning this year already then? Okay. We've, so Daytona? We've had the 25 BMW that came yeah. home with the win at Daytona. That was without Blomfist. That yeah. was Connor DeFilippi. Local boy, DNF last year. Mm-hmm. He's looking for redemption, so he's going to be strong. You've got the car of John Edwards, who almost... Well, he was leading overall a couple of years ago. Remember when all of the prototypes yeah. came in for their pit stops? Yeah. Almost got the win here. BMW will be strong. Ford have never won Ford, here. Yeah. That's big. As we were talking about at Sebring. If this is their last year, they want to tick all the boxes. Exactly. Last year, they were second and third on the podium. Didn't get to that top step. Neither Ryan Briscoe nor Richard Westbrook has won here. In their careers. Really? Yep. So it's a pretty illustrious wow. track to get a win at. They're going to be looking for blood. You've got Joey Hand, who was on the pole here last year. Remember, there was contact early on with Patrick Pile behind the safety car. He's looking for redemption, too. All right. Let's talk about Corvette. As we said, Corvette yep. Racing have the most wins here in the sports car side of things with seven overall vict- uh, seven victories in, in their class. Yep. Uh, they tend to be... Again, there are street sleepers around here. They might not necessarily set the pace in, in qualifying, but somehow Corvette Racing always seems to be there at the end. Ollie Gavin, five wins here. Yeah. Tommy Milner, three. All of them coming with uh, with Ollie, of course. You've got Jan Magnussen, who's got two wins and two poles in the current iteration of IMSA. Mm-hmm. You've got Jan, uh, Antonio Garcia, who's only got the one. They feel a bit aggrieved because that final turn has been very oh, cruel to them yeah. in the last couple of years. They're going to be strong the whole way through. 
but they're going to have to try and get by those pesky Porsches. Yeah, and we've that's, left them to last. Yeah, and, and we left them last for a reason. They are with the big M on their side right now. You've got Tandy and Pele coming in with the championship lead. And by the way, I did up a reverse points structure, and if this happens, then what? If the four Corvette wins and the current points leaders, Tandy and Pele, come dead last it's still them who lead with the championship All right, So even if they have the worst possible deer and yes. finish last in GT Le Mans. And the car that is currently last in points takes home the most, yeah, they still have the still championship win. lead. Okay, that, so if you look at the points and then you completely invert it, yeah. and by the way, everybody is so close to one another you, because you the points leader, who's Philip Eng, is in here. Ah, so that's why we take out him and we instead give it to Pele and Tandy. We're with Pele and Tandy later on this evening, Pacific time, over at uh, Circle Porsche here at Long Beach. We'll grab a word with those guys and you'll hear that later on in the weekend. Let's move on to... Can I just yeah, quickly, um, the other car that is owed something here, in effect, is the sister car, the 912. Very much. Because last year they were leading... Under safety car and uh, had a suspension break. Yes, it was uh, left front suspension, I seem to remember. Oh, that just behind the Or right front suspension. Um, Vantor finished third here in 2017. He loves this place. It's very reminiscent of Macau, but mm. he does stay on his wheels here. Not on his roof. Bambi's raced here twice, and he's DNF twice. So they are going to be a serious dark horse to get a win. And don't be surprised if they do. Let's move. Uh, let's move to DPI. Some BOP changes there as well. Who gets the advantage? Everyone except Nissan got okay. uh, hit with the change. The Acuras had weight taken out and fuel taken out. Cadillacs had weights. So taken how long out. Acuras had weight taken out? So that makes them lighter. That's good, but they've had fuel taken out as well. Yes, they've got a smaller capacity, okay. and and all the weight is done dry anyway. It, okay. It's not with yeah, driver yeah. or anything, so that okay. doesn't make a difference. Acura should be very strong here. The Mazda had five kilos taken out additional. So keep in mind that when they started the season, I think they were at 930, and now they're at 905 or 915, 910. Um, they're very light compared to where they started, um, to, to prove the point. You've got the added benefit of all of their drivers now have raced nine, Long 10. Beach. 910. Nine, nine, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah the, that's Mazda. That's, so Acura at 920. Cadillac are at 9.60 with the big motor. Yep. Mazda at 9.10 and Nissan unchanged at 9.35. Yes, and Nissan... So Cadillac have got 10 kilos on and Acura have got 20 kilos off. Cadillac are very strong here. Remember, they've always complained about the lack of sort of a torque coming out of the final turn. That's been their downfall, that they felt like they've had one hand behind their back in terms of the being able to accelerate strong out of the final turn. But they've also won both races wow. so far this year. Big difference in the fuel capacities. Yes. Nissan stay unchanged at 82 uh, litres. Uh, at the other end, Cadillac go down 4 to 66. Uh, and then it's 71 litres for Acuras. That's a five, minus 5 adjustment. And a minus 1 adjustment to 76 for Mazda. Uh, Tim says, can all the cars actually run at their lowest weight? Are they all lighter than that unballasted? I would say yes, they yeah. are. Yeah, and especially, especially the big teams, and by that I mean all of them, pretty much. They they can, and they do. Um, there were a couple S of gear... Slice, yeah, slight boost ratio adjustment for the Mazda and the Nissan... And, and the, the Acura, Acura. Uh, and also the Ford. So there were four cars that were given boost adjustments. Oh, the in GT. 
Yes. Yeah, okay. But when you look at the field in the prototype category, I mean, we've got the Mustang sampling car with Philippe Albuquerque and Joao Barbosa. They're coming in as defending race winners. They mm-hmm. were the victors in 2018. Haven't gotten a win since. You've got the two Penske Acuras, both of them. Uh, have proven to be strong. It was the seven car that got a win last year, but the six car of Juan Pablo Montoya and Dean Cameron took pole position. And by the way, fun fact, the driver in the field with the biggest win drought in IMSA competition is Juan Pablo Montoya. The longest time in between wins on race day, it will be 2,267 days since his last victory, which was at Daytona in 2013. So not too bad. At least he has a Rolex. But I say that because <laughs> they were my preseason pick to take the win. So haha, Tony Dezino, I've just made it so that the six car will take victory. You've got the Wayne Taylor racing car, the Conor Penolta. They won three years in a row, but Ranger coming in doesn't have a win here at the series. You've got the 31, the Whalen Engineering Cadillac. They are going to be so strong. They're riding the momentum wave too. They got the win at Sebring. They're tied for the championship lead. They're going to be nearly impossible to battle with because you know that both of those guys are going to get out on track and do whatever it takes to come through for a win. Both of the Mazdas with the hometown advantage. You've got Mazda just up the street in Los Angeles. All the boys were up there doing a factory visit yesterday. They're going to be inspired like you can't believe. And they're always super strong here. So it's going to be a really hard-fought battle. And, and then you've got the the Nissan, of course, from Core Autosport. Uh, John Bennett and Colin Brown, who won in 2013 in the Prototype Challenge category. And then you've got the other three Cadillacs in the field that we haven't even talked about. Junkos, and then the two from JDC Miller Motorsports. So the big thing to keep in mind here this weekend, John, is that it's just the main drivers. Yeah. There is nobody else to come in and save if you have a bad stint because there's not time for that. And there's only a five-minute minimum drive time. So we could see pit stops at the 15-minute mark, and then that's it. That's game over for you. Yeah. It, it's really going to be stressful. Um, but they did split the pit stops. Thank you, race control. I'm oh, not going to yes. have to watch 19 cars at one. I'm going to be able to watch eight cars and 11 cars. Uh. That is Friday and Saturday on RS2 IMSA Radio. Over on RS3, the VLN, Paul Trustwell and Bruce Jones looking after that. Um, with that cold weather, very some, some real concern about uh, getting that race happening. Uh, before that race even starts, some interesting news coming through from Falcon and their Porsche team that uh, tells us that Timo Bernard will test the new 2019 911 GT3 R in Falcon colours. Um, all of the Falcon uh, Porsche drivers are sitting out VLN2 hmm. because of clashes. So he's doing a rollout of this new uh, car um, and presumably then he's going to race it. I had heard that the team had only said they were going to race the BMW M6, the, the uh, raced two cars in Falcon colours, one the BMW M6 and, yeah. and one the Porsche. Um, and, well, maybe then Timo is going to get in in the car. It's uh, different tyre sizes front and, re- uh, front and rear, hmm. uh, different aero package, very, very different from the car that they have been w- uh, running. I think Timo's already done some shakedown work on that car. In fact, I'm fairly sure he has. So that is very, very interesting indeed. Big field as ever. Uh, for that and some interesting names down through the classes as well if you go to uh, VLN 
and their website. It's uh, www.vln.de.en um, and that, uh, that all of the uh, all of the information that you need. Uh, remember, taking you back a couple of weeks, uh, it was Rover Racing yeah. that uh, won the season opener. Johnny and I went through that one. Uh, last lap pass on the Manti car coming out of a Code 60 zone. Uh, that was very, very close indeed. And I expect nothing to be very much different uh, this weekend. Except that we have John Edwards here, so he's not going to make that pass. Yeah, it's a good yeah. point. Very good point. Uh, and stand by for changes to the schedule. Keep locked in to the social media and uh, to uh, RadioLeBond.com for that. Tim, news of a retirement. Yes, Petter Solberg has announced uh, his decision to retire from uh, top flight motorsport at least. Uh, he is 44, uh, but will remain active no age, that. in no the age. sport. Uh, he's older than me. Uh, and will do a farewell tour this year. I love that. Very um, cool. I love that. His son, of course, has already started competing, so the Solberg name isn't going to disappear. Um, and Solberg... This does make me feel old, Chair and Tim, and I'll tell you why. Because I remember when Solberg was the bright new young thing on the WRC uh, side of things. Years and, ago. And I know, and we were covering uh, things like um, what was then called Wales Rally GB and Hollywood. He's always had the big thousand watt smile. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Always enjoyed talking to him. Fantastic guy. And now here he is getting ready to retire, and all of a sudden, I've seen his whole career. I've, it, was like, cool. it was like when Mark Webber retired. I remember him coming to the UK on the British Touring Car Package, the Talker Package, and running in Formula Ford. And me and Joe Bradley and the rest of the team interviewing him when he got his pole positions. And I was there at his, his final race in the WEC. It's not often you get to see somebody's full career like that uh, and span through it. He's been brilliant. World champion in not one, but two different FIA disciplines, of course, with World Rally Championship and World Rallycross Championship. What has he said, Tim, about why now is the right time to go? Because I, I, inter- I'd be interested to know because he's still been relatively competitive in rallycross. Uh, yes, um, he said maybe one day I'll come back and do rally Sweden, for example, or if I have an invitation to go uh, back to something, I'll do that. Uh, I want to carry on with that sort of thing, uh, but I want to do cool stuff. I want to do the right high-profile events in the future. Uh, his farewell cool tour this year, uh, he'll be doing uh, two hill climbs and a gymkhana. Nice. 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 Hill climbing one at Goodwood and one in yeah. Norway. And actually, uh, I have a Goodwood story that I'd like to do next week and maybe get Joe Bradley on for that as well. So that's something to look forward to on oh. next week's show. Uh, but one last thing from me for this week, and that's this. What's that music, John? Uh, it's probably come up it your street, is. mate. <laughs> Excuse me? That's not what publicum uh, means. 
It means down your way, effectively. It Round means your corner. Of the valley. On your doorstop. All right, okay. It Which could mean any of those be things. talking about uh, a circuit in Wales. It's not the circuit of... It's, but it's oh. not. You're not talking about the circuit of Wales, are you? You're going to talk about one of my favourite places to go. The circuit and of that Anglesey. that is Anglesey. Track Mon. Yes. Uh, in uh, Track Mon. And, uh, Great place. And they are planning to spend uh, some money to improve it. Uh, in a move which could boost the Anglesey economy by £2 million a year by attracting an extra 40,000 visitors. It's it's an interest. This is very interesting. I hope they don't do anything with the track itself. They're talking about infrastructure. Um, The quote that I saw, which was very sensible, basically said, look, we accept we're a long way from anywhere, so our facilities have got to be better than people that we're competing against. So Alton Park is the next closest circuit to us. We've got to have better facilities. We've got to give people a reason to come to Anglesey instead of going no further than Alton Park. And and I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. The circuit layout itself in both the short and the long circuit. I actually prefer the short circuit where you come down over a little sort of... um, Yes, I do as well. It's like a midi corkscrew. Um, as you come down, although I understand why they use the long one with the hairpin in it, it, it as well, but particularly it's like when there's a lot the of long version of Donington. It's got an unnecessary hairpin just to make it longer. Yes, correct. You're <laughs> that, exactly that's, right. That's, You're, that's, that's a good analogy. That's all, but all I love the layout of the track, and I love the fact that as you're going. You know, down you've got the seaside to your left hand side. You're looking out into into the into the water. Um, it's windswept. It's sometimes a bit bleak, but it's a great place to race day, night, rain or shine. And I have done them all there in the race of remembrances that I have uh, taken part in there. I wish them the best because it's a little jewel in the crown. Uh, there's still quite a lot of uh, motoring magazines go there and do that track tests. It's out of the way. Um, and they can do quite a lot of stuff out there. Wish them the best, and I, and I hope it happens. By the way, Anglesey itself is a smashing place to go. Uh, take the, the circuit out. There's some great places to stay. It's actually got some really, really good restaurants, and I, I really like the place, and I, I would like to go more than I do. Uh, the issue is the distance that it is, uh, how far away so it is. The, Shall we finish off with... Well, go let's on. finish this one. Uh, the track, as you say, is almost perfect already they don't need to change the track they need to make the paddock bigger um but the things that they really need to do are things that the track can't do um and which aren't mentioned in its proposal at all they need to uh, widen the access road so that trucks can yeah. go in both directions at the same time and they yeah, need to put somewhere in the region of another 1500 hotel rooms on anglesey yeah that is an issue. Although we always do, we always rent a a, a cottage or a house, so that or, that's what or works. Or another five hundred cottages us. then. Well, okay. Uh, or they could move it closer. I mean, if they could do, uh, no, they can't do that. But uh, you know they what I mean. They could. Uh, let's finish with a cruise bit of liner out in out of the uh, Hollyhead ferry terminal, couldn't they? And people could uh, sleep on the on the cruise ship. I'll, I'll, sometime I'll tell you a story about a project that I had for Le Mans one time that involved taking a sleeper train down to Le Mans, um, which was based on the same thought process as that. Uh, let's finish with a bit of NASCAR. Bristol at the weekend. We've already mentioned that it was by no means full. Still a big crowd, let's not forget. Yep. 70,000 or, or thereabouts there. But I think it's 130,000 uh, seats. In whose counting were 70,000? 
Well, yeah. okay. okay. Does, they, they closed off some parts of the seating to squash people up and make it a better um, a better atmosphere. Illusion. Uh, well, yes. Yeah. Um, however, yeah, what happened on the track? That's closed. more important. Right. Okay. So, on the track, we had two series running, Xfinity and Monster Energy Cup. In Monster Energy Cup, who won? Who's the one we've been talking about all year long? Who's winning everything? Who? Kyle Busch. Oh, Bush. Yes, Kyle, Kyle Busch. Bush. Yes, sorry. Kyle Busch did not win Xfinity this weekend. Oh, did he not? He wasn't running in it. All ah, right. So, so that allowed someone else to yep. have a call. So Christopher Bell got a win. So that is somebody else now in the Xfinity series who is locked into the championship chase. For, for that particular run. Um, the race itself was seemed relatively uneventful. I did the highlights for Mobile One The Grid uh, earlier on this week. What was interesting, three different stage winners in the uh, yes. in the uh, Monster Energy Cup. Yeah, and a uh, pattern continues that goes on from June of last year. Pole sitter has not won a race in NASCAR since Still. then. Yep. So it, the last one was Martin Truex Jr., I believe. It was June of last year for sure. I can't so remember which race. months. It's almost a year. We're wow. getting close to it. So uh, the pole sitter was Chase Elliott. Did not come home with that victory. Uh, don't forget, we've got lots of stuff this weekend, including here at Long Beach, where Shay, Jeremy and myself will be talking about the 100-minute race. But we've got practice and qualifying on Friday before the 100-minute race on Saturday, the 100-minute race. Don't forget, we're on Pacific time here. So that's going to throw a bit of a curveball into those of you in Europe. But I'm sure those of you in Australia will be dancing a small jig. On RS1, it's Le Castellet in France. Paul Ricard circuit plays host to the European Le Mans series and the Michelin Cup. Johnny Palmer and Graham Goodwin are there for that on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And for VLN2, it's Paul Truswell and Bruce Jones. Possibly foggy, possibly cold. It could even snow at the Nürburgring. You know what it's like in the Eiffel Mountains. They'll throw everything at you. That is Saturday morning UK time over on RS3. Tim Gray was our executive producer tonight. Uh, Thanks to Dex and to Nick Damon, uh, also to our big interview guest, Dave Smithson from the British Motorsports Marshals Club. And thank you very much to them for making me one of their brand ambassadors. No time to explain. The Lama's got to go and find it in and out. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.